Fantastic. Well, good morning from my side and uh, welcome to what I think is part seven of our series on the book of James. Uh, if you're joining with us for the first time, I'd encourage you to go and download some of the earlier messages. You'll see the topics uh, on the website or you can subscribe to one of the podcast accounts. Uh, today, we're actually tackling uh, what I think could be one of the most uh, sort of blunt, direct challenging passages of, of uh, Scripture in the book of James. So before we go any further, I want you to actually stand with me, please. And we're going to pray because you need Jesus today, and so do I. And uh, I especially want you to be as intentional as possible about, about actually trying to hear God in spite of some of, the, some of the volume that you have coming from the front of the hall. Uh, especially with a passage like this, very often it's tempting for us to hope that someone else is listening right? Uh, so we tend to look through a window as we look at others instead of looking at a mirror and actually reflecting on the Word of God and actually trying to, trying to see, God, what are you trying to say to me? Is there anything in my heart, anything in my life that you're wanting to point out? So if you're comfortable doing this, I'd encourage you just to even open your hands in a posture of surrender. You don't have to do this, but if you're comfortable, I'd encourage you to do that as we just commit our time together to God. Father, there's nothing more important than us hearing you. I am convinced that coming into your presence is coming into life. You are only ever life-giving. So Father, I pray against any misunderstanding. I pray against any distracting guilt and shame, and that rather we would hear your voice, that we would know that anything that you're pointing out, anything that you're challenging us on, actually brings us closer and closer to the life that you have planned for us. Thank you that it is an abundant life. And again, I just pray that you'd help us to, to listen for ourselves, God. Help us to process and to apply, and very importantly, to obey what it is that you're saying to us, Lord, for our own lives, for our families. If, we, if we're here with a family, Father, we want to obey you. We want to honor you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 You can take your seats. Uh, the challenge for us is that very often it is easy for us to, to lose perspective. If you had the opportunity to speak to a fish, which I don't necessarily recommend, but if you were to talk to a fish and ask it to describe the water, it would probably look at you a little bit confused. Right? A fish would be like, what water? Because that's all it knows. So, so the water, so fish doesn't even know that it's water. It's so, uh, it's so integrated into its environment. I, I've read a couple of stories. One of them was at the beginning of Dallas Willard's book, A Divine Conspiracy, where he introduces his topic by telling of a story that he'd read recently where a fighter jet uh, pilot was busy practicing and was going through various maneuvers and thinking that she was the right way around, she pulled up only to discover that she was upside down and she crashed and I imagine died. And what's interesting is that so often in life, we're doing maneuvers. We are busy. We are, we are coming and going. We are we're inside out a lot of the time, and we're often upside down and don't even know it. And so sometimes we make decisions without even thinking about it. I mean, obviously, if you're flying at a normal, uh, you know, at a normal level, I imagine you're going to feel, well, I'm not feeling any tension, you know, on the, on the, on the harnesses, et cetera. But if you're, if you're moving around constantly, you don't realize that you're actually upside down. And sometimes we make adjustments that can be catastrophic 
to our lives. And so that's why the Bible is so important for us to actually slow down, take stock, look in the mirror, and make appropriate adjustments. And so this is what the book of James is all about. James is constantly trying to encourage his readers to actually look at another part of the mirror. And by the way, when you look in the mirror, I want to encourage you to be careful that you're looking in an accurate mirror. I think we have a, a few different examples over here of some mirrors uh, from different shops. Have you ever found that when you, I, I mean, I don't know if anyone ever goes shopping for clothes, right? But like when you go into the change room, have you ever noticed that some shops are a lot kinder to you than others? Hey? Were you wondering, like, do they actually want us to buy this? Because I look terrible in this, and it's actually got a lot more to do with the mirror and the, and the, and the, and the lighting. But here's the same lady in the same dress looking in, in looking into her reflection in different environments. And I mean, without going into too much detail, you know, some things are, are, are revealed a little bit more in, in certain lighting and, 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 be, and maybe because of the mirror. Or maybe you've seen these circus mirrors where, where it makes you look a lot taller or shorter or fatter or thinner. I like the thinner one, just so you know. Um, and so what we've got to do is be careful that we're looking into an accurate mirror. And that's what James says the Bible is. So James is like, guys, look into the mirror and allow God to actually offer a reflection back to you, of course, the challenge is for us to actually do something with it. And so one of, the, one of the issues that James is trying to address at this particular point in history, and I, I think he'd be a little bit disappointed, by the way, if he were to come back and visit us 2,000 years later and find that a lot of what he has written is equally relevant to today as what it was 2,000 years ago. And so, as I mentioned earlier, it's quite a challenging passage of Scripture, and I want us to be careful to reflect on this for ourselves and to look at our hearts. So James chapter 5, verse 1 to 6 says the following, Look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes or moth-eaten rags. So, so he's kind of painting this picture of you're just hoarding. You have so much that you're hoarding. This stuff is actually corroding. Moths are eating away at it. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Verse three, your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on. This is the problem, right? So there's this faith. There's this confidence. We're counting on this wealth. will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. Like James is not shy, right? You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. He is challenging a group of wealthy, in, in all likelihood, landowners. So back then, if you were wealthy, you owned land. You had people working for you on your land. And, and it was kind of assumed. So, so obviously, I'm sure there would have been exceptions, but, but for the most part, like he doesn't even refer to them as though there's a chance of them being Christians. There's, there's almost this assumption that, that wealth brings so much corruption with it that, that, that he's trying to alarm. He, he's trying to ring a bell saying, guys, 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 like you need to actually pay attention. In fact, one commentator compares it to um, a city that was under siege. It was the city of Carthage in the year 4 
39, where, where while they were under siege, right? So, so outside of the city walls, an enemy army has come and they've placed them under, under siege. They're still in the circus enjoying entertainment. Like it's idiotic, right? So you're under siege. If something doesn't change, you're gonna die, but it's cool. We've got Netflix from 1,500 years ago, right? And, and I think he's trying to get their attention, saying, whoa, 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 wait, stop. Like, pay attention. We need to actually take stock of where we are. And again, I just want to say that it's so easy for us to lose perspective. It's so easy for us not to even realize that we're in water. It's so easy to, to not realize that we're flying upside down. And I think it's very tempting for us to point fingers. It's very tempting for us to look at pretty much anyone that's got more than you. Like, as long as they've got more, that's the temptation. To point fingers and think, well, this must be especially relevant to them. And it's made easier by the wealth gap that is continuing to increase. In 2018, a, a new billionaire was formed every two days. So the number of dollar billionaires increased dramatically last year to where there's, I think, close to about two and a half thousand dollar billionaires in the world right now. The 26 wealthiest people on the planet have the same amount of wealth as the 3.8 billion poorest people on the planet. You can Google it later, not now. According to Oxfam, the poverty alleviation charity, they, they present these stats every year at the beginning of the year during the World Economic Forum. So 26 people have, I think it's $1.4 trillion, which is the same amount that the poorest half of the world have combined. 3.8 billion people, 26 people. Now again, the temptation is for us to think, well, that's easy. Let's, take, let's, let's do a bit of Robin Hood and let's take you know, from them and, <laughs> and give it to others. And of course, these are some of the suggestions. I, I'm, I'm not gonna get into that. I do wanna suggest that economics is far more complex than what we realize, that, that, that even if you were to tax more and even if you were to send more money to various countries and communities, and, and because one of the suggestions is that if you even just tax the 1% that little bit more, that, that I think something like $480 billion a year would be sufficient to give healthcare to the three million children that'll die without it and to educate every child around the world that, is, that, that does not have access to education at the moment. That's in theory. Okay, some of you are old enough and have lived long enough to know that, that there are a few more variables than that, that a lot of people get in the way, that human nature gets in the way, that corruption gets in the way. So, so I'm not excusing or advocating for anything. What I'm trying to say is that it's very tempting for us to, to look at some of those stats or to look at people that we think have more than us and to think, well, they should be doing something about it. And I think that God would say, no, 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 I want everyone, I want, I want every one of my children to have a heart that says, God, what do you want me to do? How, how do you want me to be grateful for what I do have? In other words, it's, it's tempting for us to think that this is about dollars or euros or rands, when actually I think God would say this is about hearts and hands. Yeah. So this isn't about a formula. This isn't about telling you how much you can or can't spend on a pair of shoes or a pair of jeans or, or whether or not you're allowed to have an iPhone, because that's an obvious answer, you know, if it's Apple. Uh, I'm joking. That was funnier in my head than what you guys think. Uh, how much you're allowed to spend on a house. I, I think that we can fall into a lot of danger. I think you might be surprised at the house that God might be okay with some people having. And I think you might be surprised at the house or the clothes that God's not okay with some people having. And I, and I really wanna caution you against trying to form a matrix, a, 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 a filter 
that, that's going to give you all of the exact do's and don'ts, these black and white lines. And just so you know, my personality, I crave that. I love structure. I love order. I would have been an amazing Pharisee. Just give me, give me all the rules. I'll help you add a couple of thousand more. I want to know exactly what to do. Give me the boundaries. But I felt God challenged me a few years ago that if he had done that, because I'm like, couldn't it be like a Wikipedia for all these things? You know, just give us, give us an answer to every single possible scenario. Just Google it. You know, and, we, and, and, and it kind of explains to us exactly what to do in every case. And I felt like God challenged me that, I'm, like legit, I felt like God challenged me. If that was the case, you wouldn't need me. You wouldn't need to have a relationship with me. You wouldn't need to be personal with me. And, and by the way, that's the challenge, is that for some of us, the, the temptation is going to be to walk away from you today saying, like you might not think consciously, but subconsciously, so what is Jason actually saying? What does he want me to do? The only thing I'm wanting you to do as you leave here today, is to ask God what He wants you to do. Because, because my personal application of what God is telling me to do is going to be different to your personal application. What may be obedience for me could be disobedience for you, and vice versa. And, and again, it's, we're so tempted to want to just tick boxes instead of actually check our heart. If I'm being honest with you, it's a lot easier for me to tick boxes than it is to check my heart. It's, it's the lazier option for me to, to follow some, some prescribed formula. It, nothing requires more, more effort from me than to actually slow down and connect with God. It's, and to be, in fact, to be honest, it's easier for me just to read the Bible than it is to actually slow down and make sure I'm being present with God and hearing God. I can read the Bible intellectually, theoretically, and not connect with God. God wants our hearts. If He gets our hearts, He'll have our hands. And I do believe He wants our hands, by the way. But I think that, that, that what that looks like is going to vary from person to person. It's going to vary depending on the season of life that you're in, according to the gifts that God's given you. Matthew 25, there's this incredible parable where, where, where Jesus tells the story of a master who entrusts different amounts to different people. But then He comes back. And he looks to them to give him an account. And he gives the same amount of praise to the first two who, who presented different uh, results, but the same effort, the same level of diligence. And the one that he rebuked harshly is the one who didn't even try. He gave him back what God had given him. I wonder how many of us are going to give God back no more than what he gave us. And I think that the greatest challenge for that third servant was that he wasn't willing to risk. And I think God would far rather us risk and fail than not risk at all. I think God wants us to be open. I think God wants us to be pliable. I think God wants us to be, to be willing to fail. I think God gets quite excited when it's like, I think, they, I think they're willing to actually try something. If, 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 we, if we want to only ever go down a road that guarantees no failure, we will never be willing to try stuff. We will never be, be willing to risk. I can't tell you how many people that I had stay with me that stole from me or, or, that, or that we opened our lives up to that, who, who landed up hurting you in some way. Like, like, that's just part of life. But I can tell you other stories of adventures that worked out and lives that I think have been affected because we were willing to risk. And, and I learned lessons from those are all before Sue, by the way. Sue's never stolen from me. And since then, <laughs> since, actually, no, no, no. Since then, we have taken people and, and still had stuff stolen. But anyway, 
it decreased. So Sue obviously brought some sense into this, into this life of mine. Because, because by nature, I, I'm, a, I'm a big feeler. And so, and so it's hard for me not to want to respond to a need. So I would often respond inappropriately to needs and take people and, and try and do stuff. And, but it was the only way for me to learn. So I did get burnt. There were disappointments. My, one of my biggest embarrassing moments is that it took me ages to figure out that this guy is a drug addict and had sold all the stuff. Like, why, am I, why do I keep asking him to bring? It's like, it's like I was dwarf. I was like, can you, hey, I keep reminding him to bring my stuff back until someone, it's like Jason, he's a drug addict. He's like sold all your stuff long ago. What are you waiting for? This was a friend from church. There's still a small part of me that would like to just get some of that stuff back. Anyway, that's a different story. That's a different story. Listen, I am getting so distracted here. Sherbet. If, by the way, just, just, just for some perspective, because again, we can think about the 26 and want to throw, no, like, it needs a lot of interpretation. There are all kinds of other stuff involved there. Obviously, most of it's in shares, but still, it just gives you some perspective. But if you want to get some idea of where you may be on the global scale, there's a website called Global richlist.com that you can check out. Um, I would encourage you to actually, so, so you can put in the South African uh, option in the tab and, um, and, and put in your salary, etc. cetera, but, I, but it doesn't make sense when you compare it to if you did it via the US, the US option, the US tab and use dollars. I think the US option with dollars converting it from rands is more accurate. Anyway, I don't know why, so that might discredit the site, but I would still look at that. And there's another one called compareyourincome.org. Both of these are also on U version. If you're taking notes, just make sure that you save the notes afterwards. And compareyourincome.org is actually quite informative for different reasons. I can't go into that now, but it will also give you some perspective on how you compare in a South African scenario. Because we know that we live in a very, 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 very diverse country, right? Like it's crazy. And it's scary to me that, that if I don't that if I don't keep perspective, I can so easily live in an unhealthy bubble. I think that there's probably a healthy bubble in the sense of just how much should I actually know because I don't think that everyone should know everything that's going on around the world all the time. I think, I don't know, I don't know how your soul isn't darkened by knowing every, every element of crime and, and, and just everything going on. So I, so I do think that there's, an, there's a level of bubble that is healthy, but I also think that there's a level of awareness that just should keep us sober, where, where it just keeps us grateful for whatever we do have and where it helps us to be better stewards of what we do have. I am going to try and kind of cut ahead, so please bear with me if some of the stuff doesn't look like it's flowing systematically, but I've gotten a bit distracted. So I want to look at, at, at some cautions and solutions. So based on this passage, and by the way, if, you're, if you want some extra credit with God, no, you can't do this. But if you, want, if you want to get into this a little bit more, I would encourage you to go home and actually read this passage in, in every version you can find. Read in the New International Version, the New Living Translation, the Message Version, the Passion Translation, um, the English Standard Version, which quotes Moffat and says, Behold, in one of the, in one of the parts. Um, it's, like, it's sobering. And again, I want, you, I want you to allow the Word to wash over you instead of us trying to change the Word, the Bible, the Word of God, to into what we wanted to be. But anyway, there are a couple of cautions and solutions. The first that I believe that James addresses with them is he challenges their faith in wealth and challenges them to put their faith in God. When, when he says in that, in that one section that, that you have counted on your wealth, wealth in itself, 
by the way, money is amoral. Money in itself is not bad, it's not a problem. The love of money is the root of all evil. 1 Timothy chapter 6, which we'll read later on, tells us. And so when we put our faith in money, when we, when we bank, excuse the pun, on money, and, and, and when our hope in terms of our future health and ability to retire and look after our family is based purely on our bank balance as opposed to, as opposed to God's ability to look after us, that's when we start getting into danger. Matthew 6 verse 19 is a, is a very well-known passage where it quotes Jesus saying, don't store up treasures here on earth. He's saying, don't, no, no, don't put your faith in money. Put your faith in God. Like, think eternally. Think ahead. Where moths, uh, don't store your treasures here on earth. Where moths eat them and rust destroys them. And where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy. And thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And this is where we realize, okay, the kingdom of God is upside down, inside out. It's counterintuitive because we would assume that where my heart is, there my treasure will be, like there my resources will be. And Jesus is saying, "Uh uh-uh, it's the other way around. If that's where we're going to put our treasure, our heart is going to follow. And so sometimes we're waiting to feel something before we do something. I think sometimes God's saying, no, no, you you need to choose what is right and your feelings will catch up. Your heart will catch up to wherever to wherever you're going to invest your treasure. And by the way, just so you know, my personal, my brain, I'm thinking resources, not just money. Because, because we can use our gifts, our education, our skills along similar lines. And I think God wants us to constantly be evaluating everything through an eternal lens, through an eternal perspective. I just closed my notes, so bear with me. Okay, back up. <laughs> Ephesians 5 verse 5 says, You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. To to create an idol in your life is when we take something that's a good thing and we put it into the center and we make it an ultimate thing. And we try and build our lives on that. We take a good, so money in itself is good. Jesus I think Jesus was totally fine with money. People that had money were able to support their ministry. In the early church, the book of Acts, historically, they didn't all sell their properties and all bring them to the apostles. Some people still had homes and they were able to feed. So so the Bible tells us that they met together in one another's homes, eating, uh, enjoying meals together. They were able to look after traveling speakers and ministers. So Jesus isn't saying that to serve him, you have to get rid of everything. No, no, it's just don't let it have you. He doesn't mind you having it. Don't let it have you. That's why it is having a soft heart and an open hand. It's, a, it's an open hand. We were saying, God, it's all from you anyway. I'm not going to make this good thing an ultimate thing. Some of you know the story about Jesus actually talking to the rich young ruler. And, and some people get nervous because they think, well, is this a new standard? Is Jesus saying, hey, you got to sell, does everybody have to sell everything and give everything to the poor before they can come follow him? And that's not correct interpretation. That's just Jesus speaking to one man. It's an, it's an historical account. And in this particular case, this, this guy was so proud of everything that he was getting right. So he was ticking all the boxes like nobody's business. Okay, He was killing it on the box tick thing. He was, he's, he, in, as far as he was concerned, 10 commandments, done. 
Jesus being Jesus knew the one thing that actually was at the center of his heart. And that's why I believe he said to him, go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. The Bible tells us that he turned around, he was downcast and he walked away and the disciples got a fright. They're like, oh, that's not good. And they asked, well, then how is it, like, like Jesus says to them, that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to be saved. So the disciples are like, this is messing with our heads. Because at that point, the wealthy were considered blessed. Isn't it scary how that's still the case? Like we think, well, you must be more favored. <laughs> you must be more blessed. So they, were, so they were considered more blessed. And so this was shocking to them. Again, this was counterintuitive. And Jesus said to them, no, no, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, thank God, all things are possible. So in case you're here and you're rich, which by the way is a lot more of us than what we think, there is hope if we'll allow God to do what only God can do. There was a guy that was lecturing us at some courses um, a week or two ago, one of my new favorite people. I'm a fanboy. Uh, he's got his doctorate in philosophy and ethics and just, just a profound, wise, but humble, humble, humble man in his 60s. I love it that you, that you can get into your 60s. And, in my, and, it, and it appears to me that he must probably be, uh, like he's just humble. Like he's had enough experience in life. He's had enough. He's the president of a, of a seminary in, in California like dealing with loads of challenges, but there's just this humility and gentleness about him. Anyway, he, he was talking about this passage at one, one of the moments and he explained that in his opinion, because there's a lot of debate about what this passage means, but in his opinion, he's saying it is possible for a literal camel to go through the eye of a literal needle. It is possible. He went on to explain it just won't look the same. Right? A camel that is, that is affected to the extent that it can go through the eye of a needle will not look like a camel after it's gone through the eye of a needle. And that, and that idea has really challenged me and stuck with me to where I wonder how many of us are trying to get to the other side of the needle and still look the same. I wonder how often we think that we can follow Jesus but change nothing. When the gospel tells us that if you follow Jesus, he's probably going to change everything. And for some of us, that's scary. I'm telling you that when you start realizing how kind he is, that's great news. That's, that's, that's when you can appreciate the song we just sang about his, about his reckless love. When I'm just standing now during this particular Moment of worship with that song, just thinking like, why wouldn't we want to give you everything? Why wouldn't we want to trust you, God? Why wouldn't we want to surrender to you? That's the heart that you have for us. It is possible. You just won't look the same. We have to put our faith in God. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. By the way, go chew on that. Just, just that thought alone. God, help me to be satisfied with what I have. When people are paid billions of dollars around the world to make us dissatisfied with what we have. Frankly, Apple wouldn't be in business if they didn't make us dissatisfied with the model we have. H&M wouldn't be in business. Woolworths, Checkers, Pick and Pay, like, 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 anyway. Alrighty. 
Be satisfied with what you have. And then look at this. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. I think it's in the NIV where it says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Now, some of us know that part. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Yay! But I want to encourage you. It's in the context of stressing about money. It's in the context of money. God is saying, guys, I've got your back. If you'll just let me, Matthew 6, Jesus writes about it. Don't, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Anyway, so we need to put our faith in Him. I need to move on. Another challenge, a, a caution and a solution is hoarding or squandering versus stewarding or sharing. To hoard, so, so, so to hold on to more than we need and more than is a wise investment. Obviously, there are appropriate investments. There are appropriate savings. But for us to hoard shows a lack of faith in God. For us to squander shows a lack of appropriate fear of God. If I'm going to just squander it, well, then I obviously don't have an eternal perspective. I obviously don't have God's view of people. And, and I, have, I, I, I lack an appropriate fear of God. I think God wants us to have an appropriate fear, and He wants us to have faith. If we have faith that it's all His, not just my tithe, which, by the way, in my opinion, is His. That's just the first part that we bring back to Him. But if I don't believe that it's all His, well, then, then I won't have an issue with squandering or hoarding, or doing it through whatever I want, as opposed to, no, no, God, this is all yours. I'm, I'm not an owner, I'm a steward. How do you want me to steward what you've entrusted to me? How do you want me to manage what you've entrusted to me? I'm not going to read it, but please, when you have time, go take a look at Deuteronomy 8, verse 10 to 18. It's on the version notes. Just make sure you save them. But, but, but where God is saying to the Israelites, listen, 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 it's going to get better. Like, it's going to get so good that you're going to be tempted to forget about me. And in that day, when, you know, the land is flowing with milk and honey and, you, and you're killing it and you're on the cover of Fortune magazine and, and all the rest, don't forget that I am the one who have given you the ability to create wealth. When we have faith, we're going to see it as an issue of stewardship. We're not going to be comfortable with hoarding or squandering. And then that idea of sharing. Sue pointed this out to me the other day. I was like, hmm, it's quite impressive. We're in the Lord's Prayer, right? What, what, what we call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, you know, um, encourage his disciples, this is how you should pray. May your name be honored, your kingdom coming will be done on earth as it is in heaven, etc., etc. Then it goes on to that part in Matthew 6, verse 11. It'll be up on the screen, where Jesus then said that this is how we should pray as well. Give us... This day, our daily bread. It doesn't say give me my daily bread. Is it possible that God actually wants us to think in terms of us and our as opposed to me and mine? Is it possible that the African culture and the other ancient cultures in the world actually have it right compared to the Western culture? Postmodern culture. So the Western postmodern culture is, is about me, myself, and I. It is. You, you do some research. It's it's completely, thoroughly independent. Like I would, I would argue in some cases to a very unhealthy extent. 
This was being written in a Middle Eastern context where, again, there's this ancient, and it's, and it's we. What if we stopped seeing what we had as only mine? Now, again, a lot of wisdom is needed. I know you want me to spell stuff out. I don't know what the answers are. I've got to figure it out for myself and my family. But what if we actually just started praying, God, give us our daily bread. I've got to tell you, I've never, ever noticed that before. And I've read this and prayed it. I don't know. I mean, I've probably, I've probably prayed it. You know, again, you know what it's like? You pray it and you don't even know what you're praying? Us and our. Because I really do believe that if we understand grace, so if we accept the gospel and we actually get how gracious God is to us, we will be grateful and we will want to give. You can't help it. It's just, it's just one of those things where, where fruit is formed. You can't be with Jesus without becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did. All right, next one. Caution is to cheat and mistreat others. And the solution, of course, is to value others. I won't spend a lot of time here excepting just to say that, that in the original text where James is challenging these landowners, they were tempted to, to think that because they could get away with it in this life, that they would get away with it in the next life. I think they were tempted to think that because they might be able to get it through the courts, so because, of, because, of, because they had the, and even today still, the justice system favors the wealthy and the powerful. And just because it's legal, in inverted commas, doesn't mean it's ethical. And if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, we're not called to, to, to just tick a box legally. We're called to live ethically, morally, where we value people. And just because people just because the way that we mistreat someone might not be heard in this life, the Bible paints a very clear picture that God, the Lord of heaven's armies, he hears their cries and he cares. And, and by the way, just, just a practical example. I've, I mean, I've had friends over the years, like one or two. I've had friends over the years that, that have been quite proud at how they're able to, to negotiate someone down to the lowest possible price. And I'm not talking on some large corporate executive level. I'm talking about an individual. I'm talking about someone who's probably living from hand to mouth. And, and, and at face value, like, it, it, I get it. I'm, it makes sense. But then you step back and you try and think about it. And you think, what are we doing? And just because you can negotiate that person down to the lowest price, just because you can get that thing being sold at the traffic light or at the beach or whatever the case is for the lowest price, or just because you can get someone to come and work at your house at half price, does not mean that it's moral or that it's ethical. I think a practical exercise would be to say that if, especially if this is someone that's working piecemeal, so this is someone that's, that, that, that's working on Individual, individualized one, one a day, or whatever the case is, types of jobs. Okay, let's even say that by some miracle, they were employed 22 days a month. So that's a full working month. Okay, and what I'm going to pay them, if I multiplied that by 22 and removed the cost for them to get to where they're helping you, can they live on that? I'm just telling you, I think God cares. I think God cares if we are in a position to abuse, to oppress, to, to celebrate that we saved, but if, if we're actually 
in a sense, robbing that person. There's appropriate negotiating. Please don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm saying, again, we've got to check our heart, and, and let's not dehumanize people, ever. Very, very challenging passage of Scripture. It's found in Ezekiel, where, where, where God is warning through this prophet. He's warning the nation about their behavior. And he's actually saying to them that you guys are worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. Like they, they, so, they were so far gone that God actually wiped them off the face of the planet. And, and many of us are aware of some of the sexual perversion and some of the stuff that was going on. But I don't know how many of us have paid attention to this particular passage where in chapter 16, verse 49, it says that Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. Think on that. And I think in the world, I can't imagine that there are too many churches, too many places that, that are as uniquely positioned as what we are. Where, where, where we live in, in the bullseye of such incredible diversity. Where you walk a couple of hundred meters this way, this week, and life is very different. Well, a couple hundred meters this way or that way, and life is very different. And again, that's, that's not to bring guilt. That's to give us perspective. Okay, God, we don't, live in, you know, we don't live in isolation. We don't live in a vacuum. I was talking to some of our teenagers this morning who live in Joe Slava. Like, were well, you guys okay? You know, getting out and all the rest. They're like, yeah, yeah, we're okay. Yeah, a lot of police running around shooting people this week with rubber bullets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some of those gadgies were, were, were throwing stones and... It's like, okay, that was different to my week. You know, like we live in the, in, in the middle of an incredibly diverse, and, and again, go back to two weeks ago, the idea is that we can't do everything, but we can do something, do for one what you wish you could do for all. And I really do believe that one of the greatest answers long-term to the biggest challenges are relationships. I think, I think if, you, if you'll give someone your heart, they'll get your money, they'll get, your, you know, the, all, all that other stuff will come with when necessary, but, but, but we're not just throwing token things at token problems. We, we're actually connecting with people. So we need to be very careful that we're not like Sodom and Gomorrah where we're feasting while, while knowingly allowing the poor to suffer outside our door. And lastly, lastly, everyone take a deep breath. We're nearly there. You're about to go out and get some lunch, hopefully. The caution is self-indulgence. And the solution is self-control. The solution to, to ravenous greed, the solution to any appetite, in fact, is not to feed it. Like This is just for free, by the way. Any, any appetite that you have, anything that you're trying to get rid of, trying to feed it is never going to solve it. You feed an appetite, that's only going to increase that appetite. If you allow yourself to stay on the treadmill, of consumer, I'm talking like unhealthy consumerism and materialism and, and all the rest. If, if we allow ourselves to live on that treadmill and, and we think, well, okay, okay, if I can just get that, if I can just get that. If, no, 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 that, that, that'll never be enough, ever. We'll only keep increasing the size of this appetite. We'll, we'll feed the beast. We'll feed the monster. The, the answer is self-control. 
1 Timothy 6 verse 6 says, true godliness with contentment. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Some of you may, may even know people where it's like, they don't have a lot, but man alive, they're just content. They're not complacent because that's different. Complacent, complacency, apathy, laziness, that's different. But, but it's amazing when you meet people that have a sense of their limits and boundaries, where they know what God has called them to, where they know what God has blessed them with, where, where, where they know what challenges they need to persevere through, and, and where, and where there's, there's appropriate drive and ambition, but, but it's not this per, perpetual, anxious, stressful chasing, like, like those dogs that chase the rabbit around, what do you call that? Like the, the greyhounds, you know, where they, anyway, you know what I'm talking about. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. So you were naked and we take, we can't take anything with us when we leave it. You're going to be naked. You leave your underwear behind. Okay. So we have enough food and clothing. Let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and distract and distract. Destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. The challenge for us as we conclude is not to see money as bad, it's to recognize the place that it has in our hearts and to evaluate whether or not we love money and, and what it can do. Or, or do, is, is our faith in our Wealth in our resources, in our because even our abilities, you can be a really, really successful problem solver. You can have a, a lot of initiative, and so your faith can be in that. Which, and again, there's appropriate confidence. Or is my faith, my ultimate faith, when all the chips are down, when when things are out of my control? Do I believe that God is who He says He is? Am I going to stand before God one day? Because I am going to be judged. By the way, that's why we read just now in the passage from James. He's saying that. That, that, that your wealth, what you think is going to leave some kind of prideful legacy for you, he said, no, 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 that's going to be evidence against you on judgment day. So the challenge for us, in fact, you can stand. The challenge for us is, again, to resist the idea of formulas, to resist the idea. Listen, if you want to find people to tell you what to do, you'll find them. There's enough of them, and some of them are right, some of them are wrong. But, but I want you to be careful that you don't subscribe to, to a legalistic pressure of an application that God has called someone else to. I can tell you things that God has called us to do. For me, that's obedience. But if you take that on as your personal application, that could be disobedience. And that's why I want to challenge you against being lazy in your relationship with God. Let us be intentional. Let us be personal. Let us slow down enough to say, God, what are you wanting to point out? This is our new version if you want to go back to it later on, but we'll have it up on the screen. I use this verse in my, in my personal life probably more than any other, but Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart, because this is a matter of the heart, right? Test me and know my anxious thoughts. How, how often isn't money a source of incredible anxiety? Right? In fact, even, even as we were praying this morning, I, I had the sense, again, of just how radically counterintuitive God is. 
and the Bible is and Christianity is. We're, we're, I don't know, maybe you're here today and in your mind, maybe consciously or subconsciously, you're thinking, if I can just fill in the blank, if I can just get that, if I can just get that increase, if I can just have that, okay, I'll be at peace. Because because we're anxious, our thoughts are anxious about this. And and I and I had this sense. I'm not saying this is a word from God for everybody, but I don't know if there's some people here this morning where God will be saying to you, actually, if you will honor me. So so, so you think you need more? I need more food. God's saying, no, no. You might need more exercise. You may need to actually do something. You may need to open up your life, or you may need to open up your heart, or you may need to give of your time, or you may need to give of your money. I, would, I can tell you absolutely, categorically, there isn't a question or a doubt in my mind that money is a spiritual issue. That, there are, that, that God wants us to honor Him with our money and that there are times where God is gonna challenge us to give our money. And it's simply gonna be a question of obedience. What does that look like? That could look like a hundred different things, a thousand different things. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Search me, test me, show me, lead me. That sounds like a, like a master-servant relationship, right? That sounds like a, like a father-son, like where, where I'm the junior, you're the senior dad. I wanna know, dad, point out stuff that I don't know. Lead me. Hey, you're welcome. Come into my life. Search me. Point out stuff that you want. By the way, just so you know, anytime I pray that verse, I'm like, God, point out anything that you know I can cope with right now. I mean, I just take that for granted. Like, I know God knows He's only going to tell me what I can. Because by the way, by the way, if you're, if you're 23, God's not going to show you everything that the 63-year-old version of you is going to look like. So it's okay. God really is kind. Like He knows what you can handle. He knows what He wants to point out to you now, but don't let that be an excuse to not pay attention to what he's saying to the 23-year-old, 33-year-old, 43-year-old version of yourself.